Good morning, family. How are we all doing? Great to see you all this morning. If you're joining us online, very warm welcome uh, to you. Uh, as Sarah mentioned, we have started a new series, a mini-series that we have called The Big Picture. And Ant did a great job last week, didn't he, of trying to explain the topic of what is theology and explain this mini-series is kind of broken down into three sections. Last week we looked at the why, this week we're going to look at the what, and Phil next week is going to look at the how. And if you remember, Ant talked about what we believe directly affects how we live. He talked about our experience, our tradition affects our reasoning and ultimately affects how we understand the scriptures, the Bible. He said, theology helps us understand the why, the way, the who, and relationship with God always leads us into the wonder and the mystery of who he is. Does everyone remember that? It was great. So my question to you this morning, friends, is... What is this book all about? What's it all about? I heard a story of a little boy, probably about five years old. He'd become a Christian, and he knows the Bible is an important book. So he goes up to his pastor, and he says to his pastor, Pastor, please can you tell me what the Bible is all about? The pastor was a clever guy. He'd studied her hermeneutics and homiletics and apologetics. He was taught to gesticulate and articulate But he's like, how do you tell a five-year-old child what the Bible is all about? So he very wisely bought himself some time, and he said to the little boy, look, James, uh, come back tomorrow, and I'll tell you what the Bible is all about. So the next day, James eagerly turns up at the pastor's door, knocks on the door, the door opens, and he's like, pastor, pastor, tell me what the Bible is all about. And the pastor said, James, the Bible is all about Jesus. And you may think that that's an oversimplification to a child's question, but it's actually the most profound remark this pastor could have possibly made. All the theologians, all the philosophers, all the biblical scholars in all of the world couldn't have said something more profound. Now, I'm going to look in the next... 20 minutes or so, or try and, if I can, overview the Bible. Obviously, I've been reading this book now for nearly 20 years, and I have also read around this book, as many of you will have as well, and been super inspired over the years by people like N.T. Wright and Norman Geisler, William Lane Craig, John Stott, uh, Tim Keller, all the great Christian minds of the last century. But the Bible... I want you to hear is all about Jesus. You say, well, John, how do we know that? Well, firstly, Jesus tells us so. In fact, he tells us five times. And if Jesus says something once, it's super important, right? If you remember last week, he only said, you must be born again twice to one man on one night, Nicodemus, that you saw, or maybe not saw, you might have heard, uh, on the screens last week, that literally has changed the whole world. So Jesus said five times that the Bible is all about him, so we should pay attention. Let's have a look at this. He said in Matthew 5:17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
Now, the phrase the law and the prophets is uh, used 13 times in the New Testament, and it always means the whole of the Old Testament. See, the New Testament wasn't written. When Jesus came, uh, when he was uh, speaking in Matthew, uh, the New Testament didn't exist. The New Testament was written by his disciples after he died, after he rose, after he went to heaven. So the whole Bible they had when Jesus is talking about this in Matthew was the law and the prophets, which is the Old Testament. Then Jesus said in Luke 24, he's talking to his disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. It says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The whole Bible, Moses, all the prophets, all the scriptures are about him. In fact, later in the very same chapter in Luke, in Luke 24, 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Interesting here that Jesus singles out the Psalms at this point, which is the biggest messianic book in the whole of the Bible. The Psalms being the book that speaks the most about the coming Messiah. Jesus is saying, it's all about me. That's three times that Jesus said the scriptures are about him. The fourth time is in John 5, 39. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. In other words, he's saying, you lot have rustled through uh, superstitiously poking your noses in all the symbols of the Old Testament, thinking somehow that this book will give you life. But he's saying, this book won't give you life, but this book speaks about me, and I will give you life because I am the life, Jesus said. And the fifth time in Hebrews 10.7, it says, then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, the scroll being the Old Testament. I have come to do your will, my God. See, there are two fundamental things that God made for us human beings. A body and a book. The body is Jesus, that God himself came down from heaven to earth in human flesh to die for our sins. And a book, the written word of God. We have the living word of God, which is Jesus. And we have the written word of God which is the Bible, and one speaks of the other. Now, if Jesus said five times the Bible is all about him, we should take it pretty seriously, right? Now, as well as Jesus telling us the Bible is all about him, there are three, I would argue, definitive other ways that we can know the Bible is all about Jesus. Number one, that Jesus is the theme of both Testaments, the Old and the New. The Old Testament was before Jesus came, and the New Testament was after he came. Number two, that there are eight sections in the Bible, four in the Old and four in the New, and each section of the Bible is about Jesus. 
And number three, there are 66 books that make up the Bible, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, and every single one of those books are about Jesus. Now this morning, I'm going to try and explain the first two, that number one, Jesus is the theme of the Old and the New Testament, and number two, that Jesus is in each section of the Old Testament. The third definitive, that Jesus is in all 66 books of the Bible, I don't have time to unpack, and I don't want to, because I want to encourage you to find this out for yourselves. So, firstly... Jesus is the theme of both Testaments, in the Old and the New. In the Old Testament, Jesus is seen by way of anticipation, and in the New Testament, we see him by way of realization. In the Old Testament, Jesus is coming, and in the New Testament, he has arrived. In the Old Testament, he is prophesied, and in the New Testament, he is present. In the Old Testament, he is contained, and in the New Testament, he is explained. The Bible is all about Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see him in shadow. In the New Testament, in Colossians 2.17, it says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ Jesus. In the New Testament, Jesus is the substance of the shadow. In the Old Testament, we see types. We sung it this morning, like the Lamb. In the New Testament, we see the truth. In the Old Testament, we see Jesus in ritual, the great high priest in the temple and the sacrifices. In the New Testament, we see him in reality. In the Old Testament, there were pre-incarnations of Jesus. Do you remember? There were pre-incarnations of him in the angel of the Lord. He appeared to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. He appeared to Manoah in Judges chapter 13. He appeared to Joshua in Joshua 5. These were all pre-incarnations of Jesus. But in the New Testament, he comes permanently, not in angelic form, but as a human John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 29, we see the branch of David just budding. And in the New Testament, in Matthew's genealogy, we see that David is in full bloom because Jesus, the Son of God, comes from the line of David. It doesn't matter which testament we're reading, old or new, we're reading about Jesus. He's either prophesied or he's present. He's either coming or he's arrived. It's all about Jesus. The Bible has eight sections, secondly. There are four in the old and four in the new, and each one of these sections is about Jesus. The first section of the Old Testament is the law. When I first came to faith, in order to memorize the Bible, which everyone has done, right? All of the books, you know, every single book, all 66 of them. Someone told me to remember G-E-L-N-D, as great elephants love nice drinks. So that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's how I remember it. 
These are called the books of Moses, or the books of the law, or the Torah. And these books lay the foundation for Jesus. Because if Jesus is going to come into the world, he needs to choose, uh, God needs to choose a nation. He needs to redeem a nation. He needs to set a nation apart. He needs to guide that nation and instruct that nation. Well, that's the first five books of the Bible. That's the theme of the first five books of the Bible. The foundation was laid for Jesus because the holy nation had to be chosen so that they could get into the holy land, so that they could bring forth the holy book and prepare the way for the holy Son of God. The foundation was laid for Jesus. The second section are the history books. That's Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Now here's the preparations made for Jesus. See, God's got to get his people out of bondage and into blessing. And if you remember, at the end of Genesis, the nation of Israel were in Egypt. And the exodus begins, and God uses Moses to bring them out of bondage and into blessing. Then Joshua was the one who actually makes preparation for Jesus by getting the holy people established in the holy land to bring forth the Messiah, the Savior of the world. This preparation was made by being victorious, victorious in Joshua, faithful in Ruth because there was unfaithfulness in Judges, established in 1 Samuel, expanded in 2 Samuel. The nation was declining in 1 Kings, deported in 2 Kings. Chronicle goes, Chronicles goes back over that same story from a priestly point of view rather than a prophetical point of view. In Ezra, we see the nation restored, Nehemiah rebuilds, and in Esther, the nation is protected. So, he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 1 Philippians uh, 6. This is all the preparation for Jesus. The third section of the Old Testament is prophecy. Sorry, let's start with poetry before prophecy. Uh, And this is the aspiration for Jesus. When we get to the end of the historical section, we have the poetical and the prophetical books that are the aspiration for Jesus. We start with Job, who aspires for a mediator, and the Psalms, who aspire for someone to commune with God. Proverbs aspire for the wisdom of God, and Ecclesiastes aspire to the chief end to glorify God, and the Song of Songs, the beloved outstanding among 10,000, these are all aspirations of the people for something higher. And when we look carefully at this, we will see that Jesus is the only one that fulfills all of those aspirations. The fourth section of the Old Testament is prophecy. And here we see the expectation of Jesus. They're looking forward to the one for whom the foundation was laid. The preparation was made. The aspirations were portrayed. They were looking forward in glorious expectation. Because they expected the seed of David to bring forth the Messiah. It was the desire of the nation 
of Israel. And then we have 17 different prophets. We have five uh, major prophets and 12 minor prophets, and they're all looking forward in expectation of Jesus. See, in the Old Testament, everything is five and 12. Five books of the law, 12 books of history, five books of poetry, five major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and the 12 minor prophets that you all know really well, don't you? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Thank you very much. I remembered that in the first year of becoming a Christian. So it's funny, isn't it, how all these things stick with you over the years. But Malachi finishes the Old Testament with everybody with expectation of Jesus. Which then brings us into what's called the intertestamental period, where there is 400 years of silence. Now, God is working, but he's not giving new prophecy. You say, well, how, John, was God working? Well, Galatians 4.4 says this. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. So you've got to ask yourself the question, so what did God need for it to be the set time in order to send his son? Well, in these 400 years of uh, silence, we had the Roman road system built which would for sure have allowed the gospel to spread way easier and way faster. We had one Greek language, which meant that everyone could understand each other. And also, in this 400 years of silence, we had peace. This is one of the few times in the history of the world where there were no major wars going on, which would mean that people could travel freely. See, in this 400 years God was working in the nations to bring forth the one who would be the savior of the nations. And then we go into the New Testament, where one day, John the Baptist points out this unknown prophet, and he says, look, friends, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, which leads us into the fifth section of the New Testament, the manifestation of Jesus. The expectation of the old became the realization in the new. In the Gospels, Jesus was manifest four different ways. In Matthew, he was the king of the Jews. In Mark, he's a servant to the Romans. In Luke, he's the son of man to the Greeks. And in John, he's the son of God for the whole world. Jesus didn't come for a little pocket of people. He came for everybody. This was the manifestation of Jesus. The sixth section of the New Testament is the book of Acts. Many of you know this already, but Jesus never traveled more than 200 miles from his home, yet he changed the world. Some people go all over the world and don't even change one thing in their own neighborhood. Jesus stays very close to home. But when he left to go to heaven, he left his disciples behind. And in Acts, we have the worldwide propagation of Jesus. John 12, 21, the Greeks, they came uh, to see uh, Jesus. In fact, they go up to Philip and they say to him, we would like to see Jesus. To which Jesus gives a pretty strange answer. 
He said this, he said, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What Jesus is saying here is, I'm going to the cross. I'm not coming to Greece now. I was actually thinking, he's probably thinking in the back of his head, don't worry, I'll be sending Paul to Athens soon, in the not-too-distant future. (laughs) But then what we see from this point is that the disciples spread out all over the world in the propagation of Jesus. And Acts 1.8 is key to this, beginning at Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Beginning in Jerusalem in Acts 2, through Judea through to Acts 7, out to Samaria in Acts 8, the conversion of Paul in Acts 9, and he took the gospel into the whole world through to Acts 28, the propagation of Jesus. Then we move into the seventh section of the New Testament, the epistles, the letters, pound for pound on the most doctrinally definitive part of the Bible. If you want to know how to understand the Bible and what it means to follow Jesus, you must look at the epistles. And what the epistles do is they give us the interpretation and the application of Jesus. Paul's epistle stress exposition with exhortation and the general epistles the other way around. They stress exhortation with some exposition. But really what we have here is 21 epistles in total. That's Romans through to Jude. The apostle Paul wrote 13 or 14 depending on the book of Hebrews. And there are seven general epistles. They are all the interpretation and the application of Jesus Finally, the eighth and last section of the New Testament is the consummation of all things in Jesus. It began in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. In Genesis 3, the gate is shut and an angel seals it. In Revelation, the gate is open, Revelation 21. In Genesis, sin enters. In Revelation, sin exits. In Genesis, Genesis, you have paradise lost, and in Revelation, you have paradise regained. In the beginning, we have the creation of all things. By him, all things were created, but in him, all things hold together, Colossians 1.17 says. All things come together in, a, in final consummation. Jesus is creator Jesus is sustainer. He is the consummator of all things. Eight sections of the Bible, four in the old, four in the new, they're all about Jesus. Something else to point out that I find interesting here is that there are four directions. In the law, we look downward. God comes down to reveal himself in the law. In history, we look outward. The people of God move, don't they, out of Egypt into the promised land as they expand. In poetry, we look upward, aspiring to God. And in prophecy, we look forward. We've got downward, we've got outward, we've got upward, we've got forward. It's exactly the same in the New Testament. In the Gospels, God comes down. Not this time in the law, but in the life of Jesus. Not the written word, but the living word. In the book of Acts, the church moves outward from history, from Jerusalem and Judea to the ends of the earth. In the epistles, 
We look upward as Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and we look up to him who is the head of the church, who is our high priest, who lives and intercedes at the right hand of the Father. Then the book of Revelation We look forward. We look forward to the consummation of all things in Jesus with a new heaven and a new earth. He, Jesus, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he was planning in Christ for the administration of the fullness of times, to consummate all things in heaven and on earth in one head, Christ. Jesus is the theme of of the entire Bible, both Testaments, all eight sections, and every single book. But as I close, let's just think about this. This book was written over some 1,500-year period, composed of 66 different books, written by some 40 authors. Many of these authors have had different occupations. It was written in three languages, in Hebrew and Greek and some Aramaic. It contains discussions on hundreds of different topics, written in loads of different literary uh, styles. And in spite of all of this diversity, the Bible reveals amazing unity that points to Jesus, this continuing unfolding drama of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, from paradise lost to paradise regained, from the creation of all things to the consummation of all things, from the beginning to the end, the Bible has one unified message that the problem that with humanity is sin, and the solution to the problem is salvation in Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can clap that. (laughs) He's awesome. The thing that still blows me away about this book, having read it for nearly 20 years, is the predictions of the coming Jesus. So for a moment, let's just consider some of these predictions. And these predictions were made centuries before. The predictions are about the coming Messiah. That he would come from the seed of Abraham that he'd be of the tribe of Judah, that he'd come through the house of David, that he'd be born of a virgin, be born in the city of Bethlehem, be anointed by the Holy Spirit, perform miracles, that he would be rejected by the Jews, that he would die a humiliating death, that he would be rejected by his own people, by his disciples, that he would be silenced before his accusers, that he would be mocked, that his hands and feet would be pierced, That prophecy was given 900 years before crucifixion was even a thing. He would be put to death with thieves. He would pray for his persecutors. He would be pierced in his side. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. He would have his clothes, uh, people casting lot for his clothes, for his garments. And he would rise from the dead. Isn't that not awesome that hundreds of years before those things literally came true? I was, I've been reading loads around this, but there are some, some people said there are some 450 prophecies in the Old Testament and 300 of them have literally come true. Friends, that was my very brief attempt to overview the most incredible book you will ever read. This is a supernatural book that will lead you to a supernatural person. What's the Bible all about? It's all about 
Jesus. Amen.